Thanks for tuning in to the Lake Forest Church Podcast. Lake Forest is a community for people who have given up on church, but not on God. If you'd like to learn more about our churches in Huntersville, Davidson, and Denver, North Carolina, you can check us out online at lakeforest.org. Oh, don't you love the Sweeney's? Uh, well, we do hope you can be pooted here at Westlake. Uh, that's just... Uh, <laughs> Well, uh, what a joy to hear so many of those stories. And uh, by the way, we are planning to continue uh, capturing those stories. And if you've got a story or you would be interested in, or, or even just willing to share your story, uh, we, would love, we would love to do that. And you could talk to Caesar, uh, who was playing drums, or, or anyone on our staff, or even just take one of those connection cards and write down, hey, I'd be interested in sharing my story sometime. We'd love to capture your story and consider sharing it with the church, too. Well, today we're concluding in our series, uh, Rooted, and I was thinking about, every time I say Rooted today, I'm going to be thinking Pooted. Thanks, thanks, guys. That's so good. That is so good. I was thinking, you know, uh, as we come to this, anyone, I've been thinking a lot about fear. And uh, I don't know about you, but, it, you know, it seems like whenever I think about my future, the, the first thing that kind of comes to my mind is fear. Anybody else kind of feel that way? You know, just, just a lot of stuff to worry about uh, in the future. And um, I, was, I was thinking about this in, in light of a, one of my favorite movies. Uh, of course, I'm a child of the 80s, so one of my all-time favorite movies about the future from the 80s was Back to the Future. Thank you, Back to the Future. I was worried that this would be lost on y'all. All right, Back to the Future. Uh, now, if you remember the plot, uh, Marty, right? remember Marty McFly? He goes back in time. Uh, we won't get into how he does that, but he goes back in time, and he accidentally disrupts the night that his parents were supposed to meet. Remember this? And because of this, uh, his parents don't meet, uh, they don't fall in love, they don't get married, and they don't have kids. So this whole thing of Marty jeopardizes his own future. And the way that this gets represented in the movie is that he has this picture in his pocket. He's back in time. Now, he's got this picture, and slowly but surely, his siblings are beginning to fade. Do you remember this? They're fading away. And so then his whole goal is how can he fix things and get back to the future? Very clever title they had back then. Uh, and, you know, I, I was thinking about this. I love this picture idea because in a way, I, th I think we all carry around a picture, as it were. We all have a picture of our preferred future, of what we hope our future might look like. Some of us have hopes for careers or or business goals. Some of us have hopes for relationships or families. Many of us have hopes for, for our children's, or maybe just uh, for our children, or maybe just hope for a child, to have a child, to be graced with a child. But we all have hopes and, and fears about the future, and we spend an inordinate amount of time trying to control that future, don't we? <laughs> You know, I was uh, thinking about insurance companies. I know some of y'all work in insurance, and I love insurance. I have insurance. I buy insurance. I'm for insurance, okay? But I was looking at insurance slogans this week, and, you know, insurance companies come up with some really funny slogans uh, all about trying to secure this future, right? So uh, these are just some of them. I don't have them for the screen, but some ones that I read this week, uh, like this one, see, it's uh, we guarantee the if in life. Uh, that's kind of clever, whoever came up with that one. Or um, imagine the possibilities if there was no risk. Well, that, yeah, I kind of like that one. This is my favorite. Uh, uh, cash if you die, cash if you don't die. Uh, that, that's, uh, 
That sounds, that sounds pretty good. Um, but I think the most famous one, you probably already know this. Even as I start this, you'll know this one. It's right. You're in good hands. You're in good hands. Interesting. Whose hands is your future in? Who's, whose hands is your life, your hopes, your dreams? Who's holding those? Jesus, uh, once in the midst of all of this worry that his friends and followers dealt with, said this. He said, come to me, all you who are weary, worn out, and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. I will. Not, well, maybe if you're lucky or, you know, if you jump through all the right hoops or maybe if you do the religious dance just right. No, come to me and I will give you rest. It's about a promise, isn't it? It's a kind of guarantee. And that's what I want to talk with you about today. One of the things that I believe we are rooted in is that we are rooted in a promise. Each week throughout the series, we've been talking about different markers uh, that are part of our identity as Christians, part of our identity as a church. First and foremost, we are rooted in Jesus. Jesus is the center of everything we do. We worship him, we study him, we follow him, we try to imitate him, we pray to him. Jesus is at the very center. Secondly, we are rooted in community, not just any kind of community, a special kind of community, community that Jesus came to create where we did life together for one another. Thirdly, we're rooted in mission. We exist for something greater than ourselves, Jesus' mission, his mission in the world. Fourthly, we are rooted in legacy. You have a legacy. I have a legacy. We have a legacy that God is calling us to leave behind. And then lastly, we talked about we are rooted in joy. If you are doing the religious life, if you're following Jesus and you're experiencing something other than joy, then you just might be doing it the wrong way. And today, we come to this last one, rooted in promise. Rooted in promise. You know, the, uh, there's a book in the Bible, a really interesting uh, book called Hebrews. We don't know who the author is. Uh, some think it was Paul. Others think it may have been a disciple Paul. Some think it may have been Unia. We, it could have been any uh, number of men or women that might have written this. Uh, but the author of Hebrews is writing to Christians in the midst of a fearful kind of world like this, like ours. And in the 12th chapter, the author gives this promise, gives this hint about how we can be rooted in promise, how we can live a life free from fear of our future. And I want to read this to you. The author writes this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful people so that you will not grow weary, there it is, and lose heart. It's interesting in this passage, the, the author of Hebrews employs a kind of metaphor. Right? It says, look, Jesus wants to be the author and the finisher of your story. In essence, he's saying, look, we, we all have a story. Our, our life can be thought of as a story. We, and we all have a pen that we are writing that story with. And what the author of Hebrews is saying is, is what would it look like to take that pen and to put that pen in the hands of God? 
to say, God, I want you to be the author of my story. And what the writer of Hebrews seems to think is that this and this alone is the way to security. It matters whose hands in whom we place our pen. So today I want to spend just a little bit of time. We're not going to go long. I'm excited to get to communion. I want to spend a little bit of time looking at three phrases from these verses. What are we to do with fear and uncertainty about the future? I think the author gives us some clues, three things that we can do to let God be the author and finisher of our faith. First thing is this, the author of Hebrews invites us to reflect on how God has been faithful in the past. Remember how God, that God keeps his promises. And of course, that is what the entire book of Hebrews is all about, but especially chapter 11. It's a long list of people in the Old Testament who trusted in God's promise, and they were not disappointed. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now, the central figure in this chapter 11 in Hebrews is a guy named Abraham. We talked about him on opening Sunday of this series. Abraham was living in the Far East, and God comes to him. He says, Abe, I want you to leave your home, and I want you to go to the land I'm going to show you. I want you to trust me with your future. And then God makes Abraham a promise. He says, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless those that bless you. In fact, Abe, I'm going to bless your socks off. I will bless you, I will take care of you, and I will make you a great nation. He also promises, by the way, to make his name great, which is kind of funny because here we are 3,000 years later talking about Abraham. Interesting. In this passage, God actually makes seven I will statements, seven promises to Abraham, all of which come true. Now, when I was a kid and we wanted to make a promise to each other, we were making a serious promise. We had one method for very serious promises that was vastly superior to anything else. Do you all remember the promise method when we were kids? Pinky promise, right? Pinky promise, yes. And so what you'd do, you'd make a pinky promise. You'd lock pinkies, right? And you'd, you'd make that promise. Now, I did a little bit of research on the pinky promise. Do you know where the pinky promise comes from? It comes from Japan. And in Japan, in the ancient days, when they did a pinky promise, if you bo- uh, broke a pinky promise, guess what happened to your pinky? <laughs> so if you broke a pinky promise, you only broke it once because you never had a pinky to make another promise with. I guess it kind of made it easy to know who you could trust and who you couldn't. (laughs) Well, God wants Abraham to know just how seriously he takes this promise. So just a few chapters later, Abraham, excuse me, God comes to Abraham in a vision. And he makes a promise, what the Bible calls a covenant with Abraham. Quite literally, God's going to cut a covenant. Uh, In the ancient Middle Eastern culture, the highest kind of promise you could make, the greatest kind of commitment, was to cut a covenant. If I was going to make a covenant with you, first thing I would do is we'd, we'd gather a crowd. We needed some witnesses around us. Then we would get an animal or maybe multiple animals. We would sacrifice, we would kill those animals, and we would cut them in half, and we would lay them on either side of a kind of makeshift aisle where the blood would then run into the middle of that aisle. Then we would make our promise to each other, and we would walk between the two halves of that animal as if to say, look, if I break my end of this promise, may it be done to me as we've done to these animals. We quite literally cut 
a covenant together. Now look, the point is this. When a covenant is broken, when a promise is broken, someone must pay with a pinky or otherwise. So in Genesis 15, God has Abraham get some animals. He brings them. And then in Genesis 15, verse 17, he says this. It says this. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot and blazing torch appeared. And here it is, passed between the pieces. Now, I know this can sound a little strange, and it is strange. A smoking pot, you know, blazing torch sounds like a fraternity rush party. It's not that, okay? These are symbols for God. And the point is simply this. Who is it that takes the covenant walk? God alone. God doesn't let Abraham do the covenant walk. God walks the covenant walk solo. Now, if the covenant between God and humanity gets broken, someone will have to pay. But who will pay? There is blood that will have to be shed. Who will shed it? Someone will have to be broken. Whose body will be broken? See, the good news about our future is that our future does not depend on our own faithfulness, on our ability to hold up our end of the deal. Instead, it rests on God's faithfulness and God's faithfulness alone. He alone walks the covenant walk on our behalf, which is why Paul writes these famous words. In the second letter to uh, to Timothy, he says, even when... Even when we are faithless, he yet remains faithful. God's promises can be trusted, and he can't help it. This is simply who God is. He is faithful, and when we are worried about the future or struggling with uncertainty, the first thing the author of Hebrews wants us to do, the first thing he says to do is to remember. Remember, God has been faithful. Look at the cloud of witnesses. What are they witnessing to? They're witnessing to his faithfulness. So let me ask you this morning, how has God been faithful to you? Take a moment. I'm I'm not going to ask you to say anything loud. I'm not going to raise your hands or any of that stuff. Just, Just think in your life, how has God been faithful to you? The first thing we are to do when fearful about our future, is to remember that God keeps his promises. The second thing is this. The author of Hebrews invites us to hold on to God's promise even when we can't see the finish line. You know, one of the pressures I I think we feel in life more intensely than most is this pressure, we talked about just a little bit, but this pressure to somehow know the outcomes, to, to be able to read the tea leaves, to, to, to be able to predict the future. And whether it's in business or in school or in marriage or even in ministry, we feel this pressure to know in advance what the outcome is going to be. We feel like we're supposed to have it all figured out. We're, we feel like that's how we gain the advantage. But the scriptures don't call us to know all of the outcomes in our lives. The scriptures don't call us to control all the details. Instead, they call us to something quite different. They call us to a much more pragmatic kind of faith. Look with me again at verse 1 from our passage. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. We're going to talk about that next week. And here it is. And let us run with perseverance 
the race marked out for us. You see, you've got a race to run. I've got a race to run. You've got a race to run. That's your life. No one else can run it for you. But notice how we are to run our race. Hebrews says that we are to run it with what? Perseverance. Perseverance. Turn to your neighbor and say, you need perseverance. All right. Now turn to your other neighbor and say, but I need it more. You know, the Greek word for the perseverance here is really, really interesting word. Sometimes I, I like to just draw out the word picture here. The word for, in Greek for perseverance is the word hypomeno. Hypomeno. Now, you might know this, kids, from your science class, right? Hyper means over. Hypo means under, right? Under. Hypomeno. Meno means to wait. To wait under. Sometimes gets translated as patience, but that's, that's way, way too soft. It's more like clinging to, holding fast, refusing to let go of, kind of like the five-year-old and your leg in Walmart when he wants a candy bar, right? You get a picture of that. That's hypomeno. He's, he's clasping under, waiting for that candy, right? I was trying to think about how best to illustrate this idea of perseverance and uh, as holding on, as, as clinging, as gripping. I was reminded of one of my favorite backpacking memories uh, from a time uh, in Colorado. Many of you know I love backpacking, and uh, I was on this great adventure. We had about 10 of us, and uh, we were climbing one of what they call the 14-footers. You know, these are the peaks that are over 14,000 feet. And so we had started down near about 9,000. This is just outside of Boulder. We were climbing Mount Harvard, I think is the name of it. And the first day, it was just beautiful. We set out on the trail, and it was great because every mile or so, you would get a glimpse of the peak that you were climbing, right? And you just kept getting a little bit closer and a little bit closer, a little bit closer. And so then we camped at about 10,000 feet that night. Day two, we woke up, and we were so excited. Only, the only problem was when we woke up, we were surrounded by fog, literally enclosed in a cloud. I could see about 10 feet in front of me, and that was about it. So our guide, we had a guide, thankfully. Our guide said, all right, here's what we're going to do today. We're still going to hike. I thought, you are crazy. He said, and he pulled out a long rope, and he literally tied 10 loops in the rope, each separated by about three or four feet. And we hiked, all of us clasping onto this rope for fear of getting lost in the cloud and dying, right? Quite literally. You, you stop to tie your shoe, the troop goes on. It's like you up on Everest. You know, you're just frozen, right? That's just kind of... Now, in case you're wondering whether or not I died, <laughs> I actually made it, which is a miracle. But it was really amazing. We, we hiked, literally hiked the entire day in this cloud, right? Couldn't see anything. The next morning when we woke up, we were at the base of the peak. It was incredible. See, I think hiking, clasping onto that rope is the best picture I have of what it means to run the race with perseverance. For some of us, our spiritual journey right now feels like nothing more than a fog. We can't even even see past tomorrow, let alone into next week or next month. It feels like, God, where are you? What are you doing? Have you abandoned me? God, if if you're the one holding the pen, writing my story, is this where my story ends? Does it have any kind of purpose? Is there a next chapter? Or have I blown it so much, God, that you just gave up on me and dropped the pen? Have you ever felt that way? Maybe you're in a place like that right now. If that's you, let me encourage you today. Do not give up. 
Do not let go. God is working out his purposes in you. And I know you can't see the ending right now, but do not quit. Why? Because God doesn't call us to know the ending. He calls us to trust the author. And sometimes, sometimes faith is simply refusing to let go as we let God work out the details of our next chapter. First thing, we're to remember that he is faithful. He fulfills his promises. Secondly, we're to run with perseverance. Clasp, hold on, do not quit, do not give up. And then he ends with this. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. What are we to do when we get worried about our future? Well, we remember his faithfulness. We persevere and we trust God to finish what he started. You know what I love most about this promise in the book of Hebrews is, uh, is simply this. It's not that Jesus has a story that he wants in, to write in my life. That is good news. It's not just that he promises to be faithful. It, the really good news is that Jesus promises to finish, to complete, to perfect what he began. Just as Paul says in Philippians, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. My friend, God has a purpose for your life. God has a story he wants to write, he wants to tell, but the choice is yours. He will not wrestle the pen from your hand. He will not grab it from you. You have to decide to trust him. You have to say, God, I want you to be the author and finisher of my story. Here's what I can promise you if you decide to do that. It will not always be easy. It won't be. But we know that any journey worth taking is never easy. But if you will put the pen in God's hands, I promise you, it will be a life of purpose, a life of worship, a life of meaning, a life of joy, a life of mission, and a life of love. It will be life abundant and life eternal, which is exactly the kind of life that Jesus came to give. That's his promise. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. If you've never done that, communion could be an opportunity for you to do so today. Or maybe you have done that in the past. You've given God the pen, but you know, you're kind of like me. I do this about once a week. I kind of grab the pen back. You know, no, no, God, I think I want to add to the story here. I've got a little like a chapter on the lottery that I'd like to sneak in there. Would that be all right? (laughs) But every time we come to the communion table, it's an opportunity to say, God, again, I want to surrender my life to you. Would you be the author of my life? Would you be the finisher of my faith? I've been praying all week for our church. Because in a similar way, our church today comes to a kind of decision moment. Will we grasp the pen in our own hand and say, God, we are writing our story. We're the ones who know best what's best for Lake Forester. God, we're going to do. Or will we as a church surrender that pen to God and say, God, we are trusting you to be the author and finisher 
of our faith. For the last six weeks, we've been talking about this rooted vision and all that we believe God has in store for us. And today, we come to take a step of faith. And that's what it really is. It's saying, God, we want to be a part of your story that you're writing through our church. If you've been a part of the series with us, you know uh, what this commitment card is all about. I've asked each of you to pray as a family and, and to, to listen. What role might God have for you to play in that? Uh, we did that as a family, and, and then we prayed, and, and we stretched, and it was a little bit scary. I, it felt like putting the pin back in God's hands all over again, didn't it? And so today, we're going to take that step, and I want to invite you to do the same. Uh, in a moment, I'm going to invite you to come uh, and receive communion. Uh, you can use, we'll start on the outside, do a little squirt of anti-corona spray, and then uh, you can grab some bread and juice, and then you can come back to the middle. And then on your way back, there is a small table in back with a basket. And if you brought your uh, commitment card, you can place your commitment card in that basket today. But here's how I want to invite you to do that. Would you consider pausing at that table and praying, thanking God for his generosity in your life, and thanking him for allowing you to be a part of his story. We wanted to do it this way because I was so stirred by a ministry partner couple that shared their story with me. It was on a previous campaign at Lake Forest when they decided for the first time in their lives to give. They had never done this before. And they wrote on that commitment card a number that just felt really scary for them. And they decided, they, they stopped at the table as they came to give that card and they prayed. And they asked God to grow their faith through this simple gift. And they put it in the basket. And they, to this day, 15 years later, still tell the story about that first step of financial faith that they ever took. And so for those of you who you've taken this seriously, you really have prayed, you really have listened. I don't want you to miss the opportunity to connect with God as you offer him your commitment card. So we're, we're going to stand in just a moment. We're going to come and receive communion. And we're going to come back through the middle to offer our commitment cards. If you did not get a card or you forgot yours, or hey, this is brand new to you, 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 you just take a card, go home, pray. You can bring a card next week. It's not like we're going to close this out. We'll keep rooting our way and pooting our way through it together. Um, <laughs> but we've got cards and we've got vision guides in back. We don't want anyone to feel pressure. This is a huge step of faith for us as a church. And we're trusting that God really will be the one to write our future. What was on the night before he was killed that Jesus gathered with his community. And he took a piece of bread and reenacting the covenant that Abraham had made with God, that Moses had made with God, that David had made with God. Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. As often as you eat of it, do so in remembrance of me. In a similar way, he took a cup of wine and he used some interesting language, language that they all would have known. He said, this is the blood of my new covenant, my new promise to you, that your sins are forgiven because of my faithfulness. As often as you drink of this, do so in remembrance of me. All are welcome to the table of Jesus. All who would choose to look to him as the leader of their lives, to look to him alone for the forgiveness of their sins. As you come today, would you be reminded of his faithfulness and his promise 
to be the finisher of your faith. Can we stand as I pray for us? Gracious God, we know that you, you are love. God, that you not only made us and know us, but that you love us just as we are. And as our Ephesians verse reminds us, that love is so deep and so wide and so long and so high that we cannot fathom it. But today we pray, God, both as individuals and as a church, that you would once again root us in your love that we might be filled to the full measure of God. And Lord, we pray that out of that fullness, generosity and love and mission and joy and legacy and purpose might overflow from us into the lives of those in our community that so desperately need to know this God of love. Would you make that true of us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. You can come as you are ready.